You're listening to the International Moving Podcast, your guide to moving to another country, brought to you by SDC International Shipping, LA's finest. An international move is exciting. It's a time to start over, establish a new business maybe, reestablish family ties, or retire where your budget will do more for you. Please enjoy today's episode, and if you have any questions about your international move, give us a call at 888-779-3962. That's 888-779-3962. Hey everyone, this is Jim for SDC International Shipping. Welcome back and thanks for joining me for today's podcast episode. So over the last several days, I had a few very interesting conversations with friends of mine. One is a local friend, the other from the country of Ireland. And uh, my Irish friend was telling me about the time that she and her family spend every summer in Spain. And I didn't know this until I knew her that a lot of people in Europe and particularly in the UK like to vacation during the summertime in Spain. And so in my own mind, I've kind of used the United States as an example of where do we go during the summertime to get away? And if you're in the Northeast, of course, you go to a place that's warm. So the UK, damp and rainy most of the year, it would make sense why people would go and vacation in Spain, among other places. And then I had a conversation with another friend of mine who's seriously considering becoming an expat. He does have some health issues. He just got back from the Philippines, and he was telling me about his adventures there. It all started out when he was watching an expat channel on YouTube, and then that led to another and another and another. And so he had, I think, three or four different channels that he was following And they were all people who are living in the Philippines who are expats from the United States, different ages, one in their 30s, one in the mid 40s, and one in their 70s. What they all had in common, beside being from the U.S., was that they were all former military. And so they were all stationed in the Philippines at one time or another in their lives, and they decided that upon retirement or some even sooner than that, that it was worthwhile relocating back to the Philippines because of the uh, cheaper cost of living and some other advantages that they felt they couldn't get in the United States. So I'm going to talk more about that in another episode. I just was sharing this because I have to say that ever since I have been studying the expat life and being involved with the whole topic of international moving. It really is a fascinating topic. And originally, when I started my investigations into this during the fall of 2022, so it's coming on a year now, but originally when I started looking into this, for whatever reason, I thought this was something that was particular to the United States, Americans. I didn't realize how many people from other countries. Yeah, I realized that people, of course, there's a lot of immigration from poor countries to more prosperous countries. There's always been that. But just how many people are choosing to become expats, people that have careers, younger people, older people, retired people, people of all different ages, individuals, families who are deciding today to relocate to other parts of the world to have a completely different experience and lifestyle. We really are living in a time where being mobile, and I don't remember if it was the last podcast or not that I mentioned it 
in, but for at least Americans, they say the average American will relocate 11.7 times in their lifetime. In other words, they will move 11.7 times. I don't know where the 0.7 comes from. I guess they're just kind of averaging it out. Let's bump that up to 12. We don't move 0.7 times, right? So think about that. Moving 12 times in your life. I've currently moved seven. And realistically, can I see myself moving more than another, I don't know, maybe three times? Not really. But one of the things I like to talk about, matter of fact, I'm just going to jump into this now. I want to talk to you about moving to Spain. Now, we've covered this on our website, sdcinternationalshipping.com. We have plenty of information about Spain, moving to Spain, everything that gets involved with an international move. I invite you to check that out. But one of the things I want to talk about today are some of the questions and answers that people have asked I'm going to share with you some of those answers concerning moving to Spain. It's one thing to vacation in Spain, but it's amazing how many people, again, especially in the UK, are now seeing Spain as a option as far as destination goes. And so if you're looking for an international mover to Spain already, of course, I'll have to tell you, SDC International Shipping, I believe, is going to be your best choice because we specialize in household shipping and relocation. We've helped many, many people. Many of our clients have relocated to Spain. So there's not going to be any surprises there when it comes to that. We can help you with logistics, moving and shipping your household goods. We'll give you practical advice on things like customs regulations, things like finding the right neighborhood, even if you want some information about that in a country like Spain. And we'll help you create a customized plan to meet the specific needs that you have along with your individual budget. But people ask, one of the first questions that people ask is, is it cheaper to live in Spain than it is in the U.S.? And so we have to look at some other websites to get that data, to get that information. One of the websites that I like going to is called livingcost.org. And according to them, the cost of living in Spain is on average about 44% less expensive than it is here in the United States. So let's say you have a family of four. You can expect to pay around, according to them again, $2,486 and change per month um, without rent, where a single person can expect to pay around $700 and $11 per month without rent. And so these are averages, these are estimates, of course, just like any country, if you wanna live in the biggest city in that country, of course, everything's going to cost more. We're talking about rent, we're talking about real estate, cost of living in a crowded city. There's a reason why there's a lot of people there and you are gonna pay more, but if you look further out maybe to some smaller cities and again it's just like any other country we can look here in the united states and we can compare the cost of living in new york city to the cost of living in let's say missouri and of course there's going to be a huge difference between the two matter of fact even within let's say the state of florida you could look at the very tip of the state in the area of miami palm beach and of course, the cost of living is going to be much higher there than it would be, let's say, um, in Ocala, 
which is kind of like up towards the top of the state, kind of in the in the middle towards the top, not at the panhandle, but sort of there in the middle. And so with even in within the same geographic location, costs of living can vary. But when you think about a family of four expecting to pay around $2,400, let's round up to $2,500 uh, per month without rent for people. That's very inexpensive compared to what people would be paying here in the United States. Now, there are other sites that give um, numbers and data and statistics. Numbio.com, that's N-U-M-B-O, is another source and you can do cost comparisons between countries. And if you do a cost comparison, at least today, as of this recording in 2023, consumer prices in the United States are generally 47, again, consumer prices we're talking about, 47.7% higher than in Spain. And we're not, we're not talking about rent and mortgages right now. We're just talking about your cost of living. Okay. Now, consumer prices, including rent, if you want to include rent in it, would be 68.4% higher in the United States than compared with Spain. So I was talking to a friend of mine whose daughter is living in a single bedroom apartment renting with three of her friends in New York City and they're paying over $6,000 a month. That's what we're talking about, the difference between premium prices, living in a big city, and not. Now, I know some people would choke hearing that price, $6,000 plus for a single bedroom. Well, that's the reason why three of them are sharing that space. And they say that people in New York City, for example, right now, making $100,000 a year, you can barely survive living in New York City on $100,000 a year. So it's it's kind of all relative. The number itself is one thing, but if you take it out of context, $100,000 a year living in, let's say, a city like Detroit, you'd probably be doing pretty good. In New York, not so much. But if we look at rent prices, again, let's compare Spain to the United States. Spain, on average, rent prices are 54.1% lower than they are here in the United States. Now, if you've noticed, things change quickly today. So go ahead, check out livingcost.org and Numbio, and you compare the United States to any country that you want, cost of living, rent prices, and so on. But overall, at least now in 2023, we, would, we can say that Spain offers a more affordable cost of living overall as compared to the United States. And the cost, of course, will vary depending on the specific cities, the specific regions within each country, and, of course, whatever type of lifestyle it is that you, you want to lead. What would be the best coast to live on in Spain? That's another question that people have asked who have considered relocating to Spain. It's one thing to go there on a tourist visa, enjoy a week or two. It's another thing, of course, to live there. You begin to notice more things that are wrong. Last week, I spoke with somebody who is an expat from the UK to another country, and I asked him what the differences were, what the main things were, and he said he got away from the problems that he wanted to get away from by leaving the UK. However, on the other hand, he said he exchanged those for a different set of problems altogether. However, 
those problems were easier for him to manage than the initial set of problems that he moved away from. And I think that's so with a lot of people. I know there's that saying that the grass is always greener on the other side. I know a lot of people who move even here within the United States. And yes, there's no place that's perfect to live, but there are most certainly places that are a better fit for you. And so for a person like myself, for example, I wasn't happy in the Northeast. I wasn't happy with cold winters and freezing rains or any of that. I wanted to get into a place where it was warm year around. So if you look at Spain, the country of Spain, it has a long and very diverse coastline. And that coastline offers something for just about everyone. So whether you're looking for like a sunny and lively beach resort type of place, or maybe you're looking for more of a tranquil type of scenic fishing village backdrop, or maybe even more of a cultural or historic city by the sea, it's all available in Spain along the coastline. Which is the best coast to live on? I guess it depends on your personal preferences, your budget, and your lifestyle, but here are some of the factors to consider if you want to choose which coast is best for you to live on. Number one is climate. Spain has different climate zones depending on location and altitude. The northern coast, which is also known as the Costa Verde or the Green Coast, has a temperate and humid climate, mild winters, cool summers, and it's ideal if you're a nature lover, you're the type of person who enjoys green landscapes, mountains, and beaches. There's the eastern coast, also known as the Wild Coast, also the Golden Coast and the Orange Blossom Coast. I'm actually giving you the English translations of their Spanish uh, names. Costa Blanca, the White Coast, has a Mediterranean climate there, hot, dry summers, mild winters. That coast is perfect for people who like the sun, clear water, sandy beaches of the Mediterranean Sea. There's the Southern Coast, which is uh, comprised of Costa Calida, known as the Warm Coast, or Costa del Almeria, or the Coast of Almeria, uh, uh, the tropical coast, the Sunshine Coast, the Coast of Light, all of these are known as the subtropical climate types of areas with warm and sunny weather all year long, suitable for those who want to have that type of a, of a lifestyle, outdoor lifestyle. The cost of living, again, it depends on things like the region, the city, and the neighborhood, but generally speaking, the northern coast is more expensive than the southern coast. And the eastern coast is more expensive than the western coast. Let me say that again. Generally speaking, the northern coast is going to be more expensive than the southern coast. Kind of like here in the United States, although that's changing fairly quickly. But still, the northeast is more expensive than the southeast. There, the north coast is more expensive than the south coast. The eastern coast is more expensive than the western coast. And the most expensive cities that you could choose to live in would be places like, and I'm sure you're familiar with most of these names, Barcelona, Madrid, uh, San Sebastian, Bilbao, and uh, let's see, what others do we have here? Palma de Mallorca. The cheapest cities uh, would be Murcia, Alicante, Malaga, Granada, and Seville. The cost of living, of course, again, is going to depend whether you're living in a place like Barcelona or a cheaper 
location, a cheaper city like Seville, again, whichever one you're in, the cost of living is going to depend on your lifestyle choices, such as renting or buying a property, eating out or cooking home, using public transportation versus driving a car, and so on. As far as lifestyle goes, Spain is known for its relaxed and friendly lifestyle, and they place high value, the Spanish people, on family, friends, food, and fun. Matter of fact, a lot of the cultures that we have here in the United States uh, place values on the same type of thing. So the East Coast does have a very distinctive character. People say it has a different rhythm that may suit different types of people, whereas the North Coast, more expensive, is also more laid back and more quiet than the Southern Coast, which is more lively and more uh, vibrant. Now, the East Coast is more cosmopolitan and is seen as more modern than the Western Coast, which is more traditional, and it goes back to that authentic Spanish type of uh, heritage. And of course, regardless of where you live, the lifestyles depends a lot on your personal interests, the hobbies, things like sports, culture, entertainment, lifestyle, and so on. People ask the question, is it difficult to relocate from the uh, to Spain from the U.S.? And I would say that relocating to a new country is easier today than it's ever been before. Of course, you have to have all your paperwork in order. If you have any questions about that, there's plenty of places online that you can research. And when you're really serious about uh, doing an international move and you start to do your homework, make sure you contact us here at SDC International Shipping because... We can answer all of your questions, walk you through the whole process, and uh, be with you from start to finish. Basically, be your partner as you go through the entire international moving process. That's what we're here for. We're not just here to put your items in a box and make sure they get from one place to another. Of course, we do that too, but we what we do involves the particulars of your uh, individual move based on your needs. Some people have a lot of questions. Some people, they've done this before. They've been there, done that. And so wherever you are on this scale, we'll help you. We'll give you whatever you need. So, um, but yes, you have to understand visa requirements. That way you can ensure you have the necessary documentation to meet uh, eligibility criteria. And that way you eliminate potential delays or, or even rejections. I'm sure most people go there on a, uh, with a simple visa as a tourist in the beginning and then maybe they visit several times before they actually decide to um, pull the trigger and actually make the move but while you're there you can do things like research employment opportunities and identify suitable industries things like that to increase your chances if you are still working or have the need to find a job some people I know they work online. It really doesn't make any difference where they live as long as they have a really good internet connection. But also, when we're talking about the, answering the question, is it difficult to relocate to Spain from the U.S.? I would say the answers to that would be no, as long as you know what comes first, what comes next, what comes next as far as the paperwork goes. So this isn't something you want to put off to the last minute. This is something that you want to research thoroughly, have your ducks in order, uh, ahead of time. So you want to make sure you thoroughly research housing and accommodation options and that way you can make a better decision when it comes to finding a place that's going to meet your needs. Then of course you have things like the local culture. 
Learning a language makes integrating much easier. Some people already speak Spanish. They're bilingual here in the U.S. I know if I was going to move to Spain or relocate there, even just for a few years, I would definitely take a, um, a course in Spanish. I only know a handful of words. And then, of course, you want to research things like healthcare and finances, how your taxes are uh, affected. And there are plenty of accountants out there to choose from. You can look them up online who specialize in international accounting, international relocations, and attorneys also, accountants and attorneys that can answer whatever questions that you have. But to legally immigrate to Spain, you have to be aware of what different visa options are available and what requirements go with each type of visa. There's a, a variety of visa categories. There's, for example, you can get a work visa, a student visa, a family reunification visa, an investor visa. And so once you become aware of the visa requirements, then you can see which ones you're eligible for. And then you know which documentation is going to be required to go with that visa and what the application process is going to look like. Next, again, like I said, professional assistance is always a plus. Uh, immigration lawyers, immigration consultants, they can give you um, very specific information for your individual circumstances. Then people ask about things like health care. How does that work? Well, most of the people, and I can't give you, I'm going to just give you a basic snapshot of this, but it is really important to understand how the healthcare system works, especially being that you're coming from the outside. It's not like you're born and raised in the country. And some people say, well, the healthcare is free there. I should get free healthcare as somebody just coming into the country. It doesn't work that way. Spain has a public healthcare system and they have accessible and quality medical services. And as an uh, immigrant, you may be eligible to access the public healthcare depending on your circumstances. Most of the time, people choose an international health care plan. And that gives them access to English-speaking doctors. It may cost a little bit more, but it depends on other factors such as, and when we go back and talk about insurance, of course, maybe you're older and you have some health care problems or you're taking regular medication. And so you need a plan that's going to specifically meet your individual needs. Whereas somebody who's in great health, maybe a little younger, that's not really at the top of their to-do list. You just, they just want to basically be aware that they have access to health care in the event of emergency, an accident, or something like that. So public health care system, like I said, that's there. But as I mentioned before, a lot of people do choose to have the, an international type of health care plan. So that might be some of the more important information that you need. Um, before you go ahead and you gather all of the rest of the information, depending on your individual circumstance. People ask, well, how much money do you need to immigrate to Spain? Well, one of the things here is that with a lot of countries, now, you know, you see immigration on TV, they talk about immigration problems, and these are different types of situations than an individual deciding that they're going to live the expat lifestyle and move internationally to another country. Um, if you're going to immigrate, you're going through the system, you're going to do it legally, 
then you are required to demonstrate that you have, number one, financial stability, proof of sufficient funds to support yourself and any dependents that you may have during your stay. The exact amount of money needed can be vary depending on several factors, such as the purpose of your immigration, the duration of your intended stay, and your individual circumstances. While there's no fixed minimum requirement specified by the Spanish authorities, having a clear understanding of the financial expectations, what they expect of you, will help you plan accordingly. So you can connect with all of these people online, um, Spanish consulate, the American consulate, get the information that you need. But when assessing your financial, let's call it your financial capacity, the Spanish authorities typically consider factors such as your accommodation costs, your daily living expenses, whether or not you have health care coverage already, and any additional financial commitment you may already have as you are intending to move into the country. So it's essential to have a comprehensive estimate of all of these costs so that you can comfortably support yourself throughout your immigration journey. So it's not a matter of you just having your ducks in a row for yourself or for your own peace of mind, but you also have to prove this to the Spanish authorities before you officially immigrate. I guess it's like borrowing money. If you think about it, if you go to a bank and you sit down or you're going to sign on the line for a mortgage, most of the time you have to provide a little bit of proof of what type of income you have, what you're going to put down. In other words, you dot the I's and you cross the T's. It's no different when you are going through the system and immigrating to another country. But some of the things that you really have to think about, of course, Number one is your accommodations, like your rent or your purchase costs. Those things vary significantly depending on the location, the type of property it is. So it is advisable if you're looking long term to thoroughly research the housing market. And from there, you can estimate the monthly or annual expenses related to that accommodation. Property prices differ significantly across different regions of Spain, just like other countries. And coastal areas, major cities, of course, again, higher prices there. As of recent data, the average price per square meter in Spain is around $2,800. So it's advisable to work with a reputable real estate agent who can guide you through the process and ensure that you find the right property within your budget, whether you're buying or renting. On average, a one-bedroom apartment in the city can range from about uh, 600 euros to 1200 euros, which is about $670 to $1,340. While outside the city center, prices may drop to 400 euros to 600 euros or 800 euros, I'm sorry, per month. And that's in US dollars between 450 to $900 per month. Again, that's a one bedroom uh, apartment. Daily living expenses, of course, those are going to vary. On average, a weekly grocery bill for a single person can range from 40 to 60 euros, which is approximately 45 to 67 dollars. While a family's expenses may range from 150 to 200 euros, which is approximately 168 to uh, 223 dollars. Local cafes and bars 
some of them have the uh, fixed price menus that include things like the starter, the main course, the dessert, and the drink. Those types of specials go around 10 to 15 euros, which is approximately 11 to 17 dollars. We also have those here in the U.S. A three-course meal for two in a mid-range restaurant can cost between, let's say, 40 to 70 euros, which is approximately 45 to 78 dollars. Before I continue, let me just mention one more thing about the healthcare coverage. One of the things you have to remember is that you're not just an immigrant, but you're a non-EU immigrant if you're here in the U.S. thinking about immigrating to Europe. So it's a different kind of situation when you're part of the European Union and you're going from one country to another. It's completely different, though, when you're here in the U.S., you're part of the West, and you're looking to immigrate into an EU-based country. So they do have the public health care system, but you're an outsider coming in. And so that's why so many individuals purchase private health care, because private international health care allows you to enjoy additional benefits, shorter wait times, and access to a wider network of doctors and hospitals. And the cost of private health care varies depending on your age, your medical history, your coverage options, just like any other type of insurance plan would, whether you're here in the U.S. or anywhere else. But on average, a private health care insurance plan will range from between 50 euros per month to 200 euros per month, and that's approximately $56 to $223, depending on the level of coverage. So just so you have some numbers there in the back of your mind, when you look into doing this for yourself. All right, now, other financial obligations. You have to take into account everything. Your existing financial commitments, you may have some here in the U.S. still, such as loans, credit card payments. Of course, those things aren't going to go away. Ongoing financial responsibilities here in your home country or elsewhere. So to determine the exact amount of money that you'll need for an immigration to Spain, it's recommended to consult with immigration experts, talk to our experts here at SDC International Shipping, accountants who specialize in immigration. And then we have other sources such as the Spanish embassies and consulates. We have the consulates here in the United States, consulates there, and they can provide you with very specific information based on your individual circumstances along with the purpose of your immigration. Just keep in mind that the financial aspect is just one aspect of the immigration process. It is big, but there are other requirements such as documentation, application procedures, eligibility criteria. If you're not taking notes, don't worry. The process is well documented. You can get a to-do list from numerous online resources. So I think we'll end today's episode right about here. I hope you found it informative. If so, please go ahead and share it with a friend. Share it online. Share it Facebook, Twitter, email, wherever you happen to be. Let people know also we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and elsewhere. This is the International Moving Podcast brought to you by SDC International Shipping. Thanks for listening. Be sure to visit us at sdcinternationalshipping.com. Call us anytime at 877-339-0267. That's all for today. Thanks for listening, and I will see you in the next episode. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks for listening. Whether you're relocating within the country or moving to the other side of the world, we're here to help from start to finish. 
Connect with us today at 888-779-3962. That's 888-779-3962.